Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. Hello, everybody. Hey, Crash, how are you today? I am hanging in there. <laughs> as, as we all are. <laughs> so today, I am super excited. We have a nurse that's been in contact with us for quite some time, and we've been very anxious to get her on. She is the epitome of what we expect out of medical professionals, somebody that actually advocates for her patients and fought for them during the worst of all of this. And she stood up for our rights during the whole process. And now she is serving everybody with affidavits. She is a true hero. Um, her name is Erica, and I'm so honored to introduce her today. Okay. Hey, Erica. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? We're doing good. We're doing good. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I know Crash and I both want to thank you for what you're about to share with everyone, uh, what you've shared with us, um, not only standing up for the rights of our country, but standing up for the human being and their individual rights and health freedoms. Um, so why don't you go ahead and um, share a little bit about yourself and your history and what you've encountered and how we came to meet um, and what, what, what you're going to share with them, what you're doing about what happened. So I know I sound kind of nuts, so go ahead and take it away. And <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I'm a critical care nurse. I've been in the healthcare system for about 20 years now. Um, for most of it, I did mental health and addictions and um, acute psychiatric treatment. And then um, moved into critical care and then also into education. I have also taught for a local university here in Indianapolis. Um, and I don't know, I, my, my awakening process has kind of happened gradually. I was one of those, you know, people who grew up in June and Ward Cleaver's home, you know, and somehow ended up in mental health and addictions. I never had any of my own mental health issues or my own addiction issues. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was an interesting place to be because, you know, in that line of work, you find a lot of people who have also had some of the same struggles. So it's like, mm -hmm. what can you teach me? What do you know about this? So, um, but then uh, I say I got out of mental health and addictions when I went into critical care, but uh, that never really happened either because it seems like every single person that you encounter, whether they're your patient or whether you're working with them, um, they're all going through something. Uh, have their own mental health struggles or um, issues with anxiety or depression. And um, that's a that's another big thing that as as the last couple of years have unfolded, um, I think it's just been magnified. Um, toward the end, of, before I left the hospital, that was actually one of the largest groups of people that we were seeing was um, overdoses and attempted suicides otherwise. And um, alcohol withdrawals and um, other other substance related issues, um, but yeah, that's um, that's my background. But I reached out to you guys um, after what occurred um, several months ago. Um, 
when I ended up leaving the hospital that I know and love, I've been with the same hospital system for almost 20 years. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, I started um, right out of college and then um, have acquired all my certifications, my degrees, like built my family through the process. Um, they've watched me grow up. They've seen me. They know who I am. Um, and so it was especially hard to leave that hospital system that I love because this is my community. Like I, I, I'm the kind of nurse that you, you almost look forward to having, I would think. I mean, I'm meeting people at the absolute worst moment in their life. Every job I've ever had in the 20 years, like I worked with extremely abused and neglected children, um, removing them from, um, terrible situations like even that day moving removing them from their homes i'm often the first person people see after they wake up from an unsuccessful suicide hmm. um i am the person who was helping you pack your bags really quickly to escape something hmm. um, i'm the person who was writing a plan to help change the trajectory of your life after you had been removed i'm the person helping take care of your family member when um they're dying um, I'm often in, um, communication with people on the very worst days of their lives, but, you know, I just remember little quirky, nerdy things like, I don't know, you like Lionel Richie. I found out you like Lionel Richie. So when I bring in your antibiotic to hang it, I open the door with the phone playing it in my pocket and I'm like, truly, I'm truly, you know, just whatever I could do to just make your day better. And um, I don't know, just sitting down, holding their hand, talking to them, um, whatever I could do. I never saw it as just a job ever. I just always, everything I did, I wanted to put my hand to it. I wanted to do it with excellence and communicate um, true love and, and acceptance and, um, encouragement. Cause I know that being sick is, um, one of the best things you can do is to stay positive. Um, so just, that's the kind of nurse I am. I can't even go anywhere in my community without someone recognizing me and being like, Oh, you're the nurse who took care of my mom, or you're the nurse who took care of my sister or whatever. And they always come and talk to me and I love it. Um, so yeah, it's really hard for me now not being that person in the hospital because um, as all of the restrictions were increased, I was not going along with the program. Like they, they had, I was a hard sell, like from day one, hmm. like when they came through all of our educators that are usually they're doing whatever they do in their offices and stuff. They all came onto the floor one day um, and they were all like telling us about this, that virus and that it was expected to be sweeping the U S and we had to take precautions and stuff. And they, you know, they came onto a critical care unit where we're pretty good at um, using PPE for stuff and we're teaching us how to don and doff everything and you know created this major sense of panic with everyone all of a sudden and um that's how it started so i don't know how much you want me to go into how it progressed from there but well um i think oh our favorite constitutionalist just joined <laughs> us 
Say hey, James. Hey, sorry, is that the skin doctor appointment? I apologize. No, that's okay, that's okay. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We started late because I was having technical difficulties. We don't want to talk about your skin issues. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want to talk about my skin issues. So so thanks for reminding me, Crash. Um, so um, I, I have a question for Erica while we're uh, kind of in a in a... A big part of why I immediately said no wasn't just my training as a as a pilot and you know somebody that worked at airports and the PPE training that I had received. A huge part of why I said no was because I have young children, and I recognized the connection between seeing my face and their development. What connection do you see or disconnection with your patients? and not being able to see their caregivers faces. I know you never put one on, but I know that that had to have impacted. Okay, I'll just tell you a little story. In the height of everything, I had an older male patient who, um, I don't know, I like the older guys. They like to flirt. They're just like goofballs and stuff. And this guy, he was coming from a facility. So they're extra lonely and they're touch dark. And uh, I sat down on the bed next to him. And I, well, before I sat down on the bed, I, I, I shook his hand. That was the first thing I did with no gloves. Okay. And, um, he started to well up with tears in his eyes and he said, I didn't think you were allowed to do that. I said, not allowed to do what? Shake your hand? How else am I supposed to know what kind of a man you are? You know, <laughs> that's what I said to him. And he just started crying and he was like, no, I didn't think you were allowed to touch me. Oh, and awesome. I sat down next to him and I just held his hand for a little while. And we just talked about, you know, his life and what's going on and stuff. But I can't, I can't tell you the impact that it has on um, the, the visitor restrictions that are going on in the hospitals. It, it is, it's mortifying. It's like, I, and I told him, I was like, look, I, I am a number one advocate for safety and um, evidence-based practice. And I'm going to do everything that I know the best way to do the, the right things. But if you're telling me to do something that violates everything that I know is right in the world, I'm not going to do it. Like, I'm sorry. And I would tell my charge nurses, they'd say, oh, you have more than two visitors in the room. And I'm like, well, then you're going to go have to do something about that because I'd say bring them all in. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, the more the merrier, really. Um, as a nurse, too, if, you, if you're coming on as a first day with a patient, you don't know what they're like normally. You don't know if there's something out of the ordinary that's happening, but the family members do. Like, I can't tell you how many times as a nurse, I've had a family member come and get me and be like, hey, he's doing something weird. And I would have never known. Right. Like I've seen family members save the lives of my patients just because um, they were paying attention and in the room. Right. And, you know, I'm running around doing whatever nurses do all the time. This is why we're so happy that you're here talking to us because the people that are the experts, their expertise has been taken away from them. The people we should be listening to have been silenced. And 
um, for you to be so bold in light of what you told me yesterday, like everyone else that you worked with, nobody will speak up because they're paying homage to the slavery they're put in instead of saying, you know what, I'll find another job. I'll find another apartment. There's nothing more important than freedom for people right. and uh, the children that are coming, that are coming up. So again, well, thank and, you. And I'm very I mean, well versed in this as all, as nurses go, she didn't give you her bio. She's got a pretty amazing bio. So she's definitely an expert folks. Well, and let me speak just a second too on why more people aren't speaking up in the hospital. I have some theories and I, I know that um, there may even be some people that I used to work with who are watching this right now. And I, I, I want to speak directly to them for a second because they took, they took advantage of our good natures. That's what's, that's what happened. They said, I can't tell you how many emails we got from the chief executive um, physician who was like, you know, as, as someone who cares about your patients and wants to keep them safe and is committed to their health, this is your duty to do this. And, or don't you care about keeping the sick people that you um, work with safe? Mm -hmm. And um, what about your family members, your elderly mom who um, has had heart issues? Don't you want to keep her safe? And your child who has respiratory issues, you don't want to take anything home to them, do you? Mm -hmm. This is the only way to keep you safe. Fear, fear, fear. Fear, 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 fear. And, um, but it, it, and that's another thing too. Like, when did we all become so obsessed with our deaths? Like, staying alive. Staying alive. Like, existing. I want to stay alive surrounding them and just like i don't know it just, i don't think we're obsessed i think they created the narrative yeah. for us to be obsessed best pr campaign ever yeah. you guys uh, my first degree was in marketing and <laughs> i've never seen any campaign like this one boy they yeah. hit it hard from every direction too like yeah. and i think that's another reason why they didn't get me because um i don't watch tv i don't have a tv i don't i don't i don't have time i'm a very busy person I was just talking to my cousin about that an hour ago. And I said, you know, I do social media marketing. So I know what pop-ups are all about. I know what mind control is all about. And two months before the pandemic, I started getting pop-ups about people stockpiling toilet paper. And I was like, what are they doing? What are they up to? I just have this theory. I think that they, they like play games with each other. Like, hey, Hey, Bob, watch this one. I'm going to make everybody go crazy and start buying toilet paper. That's what it's like. Yeah. And look, <laughs> can make the watch the humans do. You know, I wished I would have had stock in like Home Depot and Lowe's and Menards and stuff during all the lockdowns because yeah. what did everybody do? They were all my crazy. dad redid I'm one of them. I'm like, <laughs> you know, the second the second they fired me wrongfully, by the way. Um, yeah, we're getting to that. And I started digging a hole in my backyard. Like I was like, I have to have a fire pit. Like, I don't know. I just went crazy and like just started doing home improvement repair stuff. And I think everyone else in the world did too. And yeah. then that's why they decided to be like, you know what? Let's make a sheet of plywood cost 70 bucks now. Yeah. Instead of, you know, just, yeah. they, they're just always trying to make money off of us. However they can get it. You know? So, um, 
I have a, a follow-up question on what you were saying um, to give a little hope before we go into what you're doing legally to fight back. Um, what can we do to help the people that are addicted to the fear and need help moving forward? So uh, what I've been doing, I have been using every single opportunity I can to talk to people face to face. Now, the reason that if you're watching this and you have known me previously, um, you've known that I've kind of fallen off the face of the world. I am not one of those people who gets up in front of you know, everybody, I'm not broadcasting my life. I am very a reserved person. Um, but I think that the real power is in one-on-one -on -one relationships mm -hmm. and one-on-one -on -one conversations. Um, like the poor people who have to go out into the world with me, God love them. And my poor children. Oh my gosh. I have an 18 year old and a 16 year old and a 12 year old and all boys. And, um, they're just, they're, they're aware of everything that's been going on in the world, obviously, because they live with me. Um, but they don't understand. They, they still have this dream in their heads that everything is going to still be normal. Like my oldest son, he's studying to be an actuary in a world where who knows the economy could cry, could crash tomorrow. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking like my middle son wants to be a fighter pilot for the United States air force. And I'm like, you want to, you're going to be in the military right now. Do you have any idea what's going on with the military? No, they want to do things like, you know, chat with their friends on Instagram and, and, you know, go to, I don't know, play their games with each other and, do whatever they're doing. They want to have normal, happy, fun lives. And I'm like, all right, let's have a drill. You take that window, grab this weapon, you, you know, just to, you know, I'm just like always in prep mode for whatever's going to happen next. And they're like, there is a good way to get them involved in that without them realizing they're involved in it. Tactically well, start nerf wars with them. Ooh, it's fun. Well done. Check. I already got that one under control. Then too. <laughs> But um, I do, I take the chance to talk to every single person I come in contact with, whether whether I'm at the home improvement store, buying my lumber, talking to the people about, you know, like, wow, are you okay? Can you breathe under there? You know, like only the people who are schlepping are, are smothering right now. No one else is unless you're, you know, unless I've you're noticed it's a lot of very unhealthy looking people like they generally overweight um and I, that's how they got them too like the sicker mm -hmm. you are they they spread this message at the very beginning saying if you're at higher risk that's for you know this infection then you need to do this but yes they, the buzzwords is the one thing that everyone needs for their bodies more than anything it's a little thing called oxygen no kidding. really important <laughs> yep yep so take us through um, the human rights violations that you saw in the hospital. So let's try not to veer out because I think people really want to know what you witnessed and want the truth because there's so many people in the medical industry lying. That's just a fact, folks. It, it's okay. a fact. 
And then what happened to you? And then James can come on in and help share um, the rights that we have back, our personal power, without having to get into the bar and legal system. So, so I would have patients who would beg me, please don't let them vent me. Please don't let them vent me. And I'm like, okay, I am the sentry warrior at your gate. I will not let them come to you. And I'm just being a little silly about it. But at the same time, the pressure to be ventilated is very strong. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like, let's just take a couple of days to see how the steroids work, or let's just, you know, see if we can decrease on the oxygen a little bit or something. It's, it's always like, well, we may be having to do ventilation here at some point. And so for the patients who are asking me, please don't let them vent me. I have, I have laid across patients' bodies. Like, no, you can't take them. Like just to advocate for them because um, the doctors have this mentality of like, um, they'll call those kind of patients COVIDians. Mm. There's an actual name for it. They oh. will, um, you know, obviously this person doesn't realize what danger they're in and they've bought into the whatever media, you know. So and then I thought, to, to interject, I apologize. I thought the only time you needed a ventilator was when your lungs weren't working at proper capacity on their own. There was other ways to get oxygen into your body, a mask or something like that, if you could breathe normally. Well, at a point, a patient becomes very exhausted with breathing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the that's when you get to the point where you start having that conversation. When you see people whose respirations are constantly in the 40s and 50s and and it's like they're doing crunches with every breath. Can you imagine doing a billion crunches a day? Every breath you have, you're just like <sighs> well, they'll come out of the hospital with an eight-pack. Bad joke, sorry. <laughs> Six pack. So what percentage of the patients that you saw or witnessed um, were unnecessarily vented? Do you think were prematurely, should I say? Well, I don't know if I can give an accurate answer on that. I I, I would really want to be careful about that because mm -hmm. I'm if at all. Within, within the scope of my practice um, to diagnose that when someone would need to be on a ventilator that's something that the doctor would decide mm -hmm. um, at that point, or often patients will request it. Like I had patients who chronically came in just to be put on the vent every once in a while because mm -hmm. they had some sort of obstructive lung issue or, you know, um, were really committed to smoke on the cigarettes right, right, and right. would just rather, instead of quitting, they'd rather just come in and, you know, get ventilated on occasion when they were too exhausted to breathe. But uh, that was not, that was more the um, exception than the rule. Right. I'm um, asking to clear up the rumors, right? So, and, and, and maybe some hospitals were much worse, but. Well, the question is not so much when they're making the decision to ventilate, it's how they arrive to the place in their care that they need to be ventilated. Mm, okay. Like I, I am very, very much in the belief that um, there's a medication that we started giving and I have given it, you guys, this is like, not since I've known what it was doing to people. The second I found out what it was doing to people, I was not giving it. Um, there's a medication called remdesivir 
that is very hard on the kidneys. And so what's happening is that, you know, these patients who are coming in who can't breathe um, because of the, the process that's happening in their body as they're trying to, you know, whatever your belief is, I, I won't get into what I believe is really going on. That's that's a whole different podcast, I guess. Um, but, you know, you come in, you can't breathe. And they say, well, how long have you been this way? And if it's within a certain number of days, then they're like, okay, you, you can still receive your remdesivir. So far as I know, the United States is the only one using this medication. And the problem with it is that they've used it previously to try to help with um, in the Ebola trials, but they weren't able to continue using it because there were too many fatalities related to it. But somehow it's the number one drug of choice in the United yeah. States for treating this highly recoverable situation. I heard it was a 50% uh, failure rate or success rate. Which yeah, I, I thought it was more yeah. like 54, but yeah, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. And the reason why it's that way is because it, you know, your kidneys are very important. They, they help filter all of your blood for you. And then it produces this high ultrafiltration plasma that we, you know, we waste out. It's called urine. Mm -hmm. um, but it's responsible for taking that extra fluid off your body. Well, when you come into the hospital and you're receiving fluids because you're dehydrated um, or, you know, yeah. But anyway, um, and then your kidneys are also being shut down because of medications that are hard on them, like the remdesivir, um, and sometimes like vancomycin, they're given that too. It's a heavy duty, broad spectrum antibiotic that also can be very hard on your kidneys. And then all of a sudden you still have all this fluid coming in, but you don't have a way you have kidney injury and the, fit, the fluid starts to build up and in your lungs and then you can't breathe very well. So now you've got a breathing problem. And then you're like, <sighs> and then the doctors are like, oh my goodness, you need to go on the ventilator. You can't breathe. So. And, and what percentage of, cause you know, we're, we hear, we hear a very broad scope of, people coming and going. Some people go in in pretty good health, don't come out. Um, some people go in, uh, you know, I've, I'm part of another organization that does healing, which I'm not going to talk about, but people have literally saved people's kidneys from using a substance coming back because of the, this particular drug. But um, was there a good, in your particular hospital, was there a good percentage of people that successfully got through the procedure and we're able to then go home. Yes. Okay. That's good news. Great. It wasn't like everyone who got put on to remdesivir ended up dead. Um, but I, I can still see the faces of the people who did. Oh. I'm talking like people that are just a little bit older than me in my community coming in with, you know, mild symptoms. And it's, at one point, there were so many people coming in because the media was telling them to. They're freaking everybody out. Every little symptom that normally in a regular flu season, you wouldn't have come in for. You would have just, you know, stacked yourself up with some blankets, drank some water, put on the goonies and gotten through it. That's what we do. But um, 
not in this case. Everybody was coming in to the hospitals. Um, so you come in and you can't breathe. And then it starts to spiral and then they keep you. And so then they admit you, they do a swab on you and oh my goodness, you're positive. And then they admit you with this diagnosis and then your treatment course just takes a whole different, like, then you, you can't have visitors in your room. I don't know what the visitation policy is now. I'm a little out of the loop. Um, but at a point they weren't letting anyone in. And then at a point they opened it up to be able to let you come in for one hour. And then, but as a visitor, you had to go through this whole course of properly applying your PPE and they had to go through, and then they made it like you had to go through background check just to come through the doors. And then you had to go to one station where they'd check your temperature and then they would um, scan you. And then they would, you have to go to another one where they give you a barcode badge that's color coded and they give you a door lock code. I'm like, it's easier to get into Fort Knox than it is to come see your mom at the hospital. But um, my mother-in-law, uh, sadly, we lost her. Um, she went in, she was uh, asthmatic. So she had lung issues to begin with, but married for 60 years. My father-in-law is a Vietnam veteran and they would not let him in the room with her. It makes me cry every time I think about it, but I called the hospital and fought and I got the head nurse whose name is Whitney, um, would not. And I said, you're breaking rules, constitutional rules. You're violating human rights violations. And uh, I will be in touch with you later. She said, well, I'll let him come up and wave to her through the window. Wow. And that's what she See, did until she was sedated and they decided and gave a date where they would turn off all the machines and terminate her life. I don't know what, um, what legal, I mean, when these people come in and they need to struggling with whatever, and they test positive, how are they able to, you know, cover their butts legally by venting them without their consent. You're saying you have to throw your body over patients. How is that a thing? Don't they have to have consent before they do a medical procedure? Yeah. Unless you pass out and then, and then it becomes a code situation, but yeah, just to advocate for the patients, you know, like to, there's no one there advocating for patients anymore, like because they're weeding all the people like me out with all the bull crap and the family members and the family members like they're they have they have effectively reached the quality of staff that they want to have in the hospital systems right now. The Whitney's, the ones who are going to get on the phone and be like, I'm sorry, ma'am. No, you can't do that. Or um, go into the room and say, you've been here long. You've been here. You know, your hour is up. You need to leave. Like the, the nurse who's sneaking the patient's family members up back stairwell and, you know, like sneaking in whatever I can just to, to you know, make it right. Yeah. We're all kicked out right yeah. now. Yeah. And we're the nurses that you want taking care of you when something happens. Right. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like they're the people in my community are getting ripped off right now because the people, the nurses with principle, the ones who are standing up, the ones who are protecting their bodies, who are saying, wait, you want me to do what you want me to do? Yeah. And so I don't so know. Take, so take us through how it escalated, what you saw, uh, your red flags, and then how it came to the point of your uh, termination. Okay. Here's a red flag. Um, 
so there was one particular day where I had two different patients that I was 100% convinced had had an adverse reaction. Um, one had new onset liver clots, blood clots. Um, and so, you know, she was having some, some, some issues related to that. And then another one of my patients um, had lips the size of sausages. Okay. He had an anaphylactic reaction. Um, he had very clearly gotten um, the Moderna shot on a Thursday. And he was coming into us on a Tuesday. He was, he had, he was kind of, you know, in a, from another country and didn't really want to like deal with hospitals. I would be the same way. Like I'm going to deal with whatever's happening with me until like one of my limbs is dangling off by a nerve. And then after my ACE bandage fails, I'm going to be like, well, you know, maybe I should go get this checked out maybe. But, um, <laughs> These are the people, this is the kind of guy I was dealing with. And so I'm sitting outside of the rooms of my patients and the doctors are doing their rounding and they're standing behind me. I'm not looking at them. So I don't even, I didn't even look at them. I can't even tell you who they were. One was a pulmonologist and one was a hospitalist though. That, that I do know. And so I hear this conversation between the two of them. Okay. It goes like this. It's like, well, yeah, he, he had he, there was a, um, a part in the note that said he had received an, a Moderna injection on Thursday, but the timing of the whole thing just doesn't really make any sense, does it? And then the other guy was like, you're right. Excuse me. The timing just, it, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm sitting there going, isn't this a big clinical trial? Isn't this all data? Like based, it doesn't make sense based on what? What are you... What kind of information are you using to say it doesn't make sense against? I don't know. Just little things like that where, you know, and then I'd ask, you know, because to fill out a VAERS report, I have tried, I've done this, okay? Um, it's very laborious. It's, it's a complicated process. And in the flow of your shift with as busy as nurses and doctors are, unless you have time to sit down and um, stick with it, the the form takes you have to get a lot of different information like from the chart and it'll take you at least a half an hour just to fill out one of these forms there's no doubt in my mind that that alone is a barrier to someone reporting this in a hospital system um it, if it's not required documentation it's not getting done <laughs> i'll just tell you and then especially I asked a couple of doctors I worked with, I was like, this looks like a, an adverse situation to, to, to me. And they're like, I'll tell you what, Erica, someone has a headache. They think it's related to it. Someone has a sore throat. They think it's related to it. You know, just trying to minimize it. Like yeah. just take it to Africa. Like you can't even express a concern as a nurse to a doctor to be like, Hey, I think something's going on here is a, as um, you know, something that shouldn't be happening. And I noticed that they, you know, and they don't, they're not, they don't get it. Here's what I'm telling you. The people that I worked with are not going home 
and researching on Telegram or any other, or they're not watching bit shoot videos or getting on Rumble and finding out the real truth of what's going on in the world. They're not doing that. They're going home. They're binging on Netflix and drinking alcohol. That's what's going on in the evenings. Our yeah. doctors, they work seven days straight in a row. Do you know what it's like to work a, a seven day stretch of 13 hour days in a row? The last thing you're going to be doing on your time off, the first thing, you're going to spend your first probably two days just recovering from feeling tired. And then the last thing you're going to want to do is research what's going on and what kind of things we're putting in people's bodies. And, you know, it's not happening. And then I'm trying to engage my coworkers in conversation, right? I'm trying to tell them about what's going on in the world, the things that I'm learning about um, these agendas and how this has been planned for a long time. And, and, and they just look at me like, Erica, we don't really watch the news. We're not trying to get involved in politics. You know, I had, I had a charge nurse come and talk to me and be like, Erica, some of your coworkers are concerned with your rhetoric. And I'm like, well, good. Yeah. You know, we should be concerned. That's the We're point. being used. We're being like, this is part, they, they got, they got to use us nurses as free propagandists because you know what they did? They did weird stuff. Like they made us carry around one single N95 in a brown paper baggie um, with our names on it because that's all they had. We couldn't reuse them. There wasn't enough. They said, we don't have enough PPE. So then that's every disgusting. nurse I know is like reaching out on Facebook and whatever other social media they're on, begging their family members for PPE. Like, and it was really sweet to see how the community responded. And they were like making masks for us and sending in their ski goggles and all kinds of stuff. Um, but they, they got to, they created the panic for us. And then we spread it just like good little propagandists, mm -hmm. you know, helped create their narrative. But so from from that point, uh, when, what's the reasoning and when did it get to the point where they terminated you? Oh. And then share with us um, what you're doing to fight back with James. So in the start of 2020, it was, you know, they they created a lot of panic in the hospital and in the media. They did they did. They freaked everyone out so much to where you thought, well, okay. Like, even though I knew in my spirit, like, this something's not right here. This is like a bat virus. What? Do you guys know anything about virology? Like, is that even a thing? You know, like, everyone's just like, oh, a bat virus? Okay, what do I have to do? Um, and I was just like, yeah, I don't buy it. I'm not going along with this. But I did... I did very much so try to go along with the program. I'm a go along with the program kind of person, you know, if it's a good idea, I'll help promote it. We'll do it. If it's good for patients, if it's good for us, if it's right. keeps people safe, if it's evidence-based, I'm down. Right. So I tried to wear for uh, a week or two and I just started feeling really poorly all the time. I was dizzy, I had a headache. I just, I felt really like at one o'clock every day, almost like clockwork. I was just like, sounds terrible. Well, one of my charges How many hours was, like, was that from the start of your shift? How long did it take to get to one o'clock? Like when did seven, you start? 
eight, nine, ten. Okay, so you got there at seven. Halfway through, halfway through the okay. shift, I was not doing well. And plus, it just felt so wrong. Do you know how important it is for people to be able to see your face when you're taking care of them? It's what communicates your empathy. It's what lets them know you're listening. We have a lot of older patients who can't hear you. Yeah. And and so, and we do a lot of educating. Do you know what it's like to be like this and try to teach somebody about their atrial fibrillation? No, like um, it's it's laborious. It, 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 it blocks your communication. We have a lot of Burmese pe people in our community and um, they need to understand clearly the words that you're saying so they can hear the boundaries between your words. Um, so yeah, anyway, my, I did not need any reports to tell me that I was retaining CO2 and that I felt poorly and that it was not a good thing for my body. I'm a very good listener of my body. It tells me everything and I listen to it. So I just stopped wearing it and but I'm best friends with everybody in the hospital. I thought no one likes me now, but um, I would just be like, you know, walk past the screening desk in the morning, like, Hey guys. And they're like, don't forget. And I was like, yeah. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, anytime I had a new patient, I would ask them like if they wanted me to, I would, if it made them feel comfortable. I never had a single patient ever, not once ask me to please wear. So I just didn't. And I was doing just fine. Everything, you know, for over a year, it was like that. Um, and that was not even like a clue to them. Over a year, you're in and out of all these rooms with all of these supposedly high risk, high contagion people, and you don't get sick. Right. I never, never once even had a sniffle. Very healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I never wore one ever anywhere out in the community ever. I mean, never. Like, even when everyone was like really super crazy about it, I was still just like, what is everyone do? I felt like I was in an alternate reality the whole time. Um, but yeah, so just a couple of different things. Like it happened with when I would teach, when I would teach at the college campus, um, whenever the other instructors would leave the rooms, my students, half of them, the other half were completely frightened, but half of them would also take off and they'd be like, Oh, thank God it's Erica. You know, like we'll be able to breathe for a little bit here. And I was like, yes, breathe in the freedom. You guys, it's like, I would always tell, um, thank you. Bless you. I would always tell uh, whoever was around me, please, please feel free to just breathe freely. I, you know, and they would always, always, everybody, patient, family members, patients, everybody, yeah. they'd be like, oh, thank God. Yeah. You know, they're just doing it. They're all, everyone's just doing it because someone else is like right. being really oppressive about it. And right. I don't know, every, no one do wants the to confront them. No one wants yeah. to be confrontational and no one wants to be like, you know, and I've had people say things to me about how selfish I'm being. Like, well, are you that. kidding? They're taught well, that. They're, they're, yes. Where would they see? The, why the, on earth would you think I'm dangerous when I'm the healthiest person here? Right. Right. 
Well, because the the whole lie was the asymptomatic nonsense, um, and people sadly, the loving, trusting people are listening to these entities and these news organizations, and they are supposed to be trustworthy organizations. And they're committing heinous crimes, uh, and that's why, because they're told to look upon you as a selfish person from the media and. And I'm like, I'm the least selfish person I know. Right. I I am doing everything I can right now to provide an alternative for the people in my community so that they don't have to go. That's a problem. Like the veil that's been lifted off of all of our eyes through all of this. And thank God, because how long would I have gone in this system without this major thing happening that opened up my eyes to look around and be like, Oh my God, that too. Oh, I'm being lied to about that too. And that, and Oh my gosh, they don't want to keep me safe. They actually want to kill me. Like that's where I am in life right now. I am. I'm just like the people that we have been generally told to trust doctors, you know, the food industry, (laughs) our government, (laughs) our police, like we're going to we're going to our doctors and we're saying, please, I'm in poor help health. Can you please help me? And they're giving us more poison, and they don't know it either. I don't think they're doing it intentionally either. Yeah. No, they're told that if we say something that's contrary to what they've been taught at medical school, that we're trying to hurt people. And like, you know, I've I've wondered because I've reached out to my coworkers, the ones I had in my phone. Um, I've reached out to them and I've said, you guys, remdesivir is killing people. You can't keep using it. Spread the word. Talk to people inside. Cause you know, I've been, I've been blocked. They, nobody wants to talk to me anymore <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why, but, um, and the response, I had a friend over a couple weeks ago from the hospital and I told him, I said, this is what's happening. And this is what's going on in the world. And he basically did this. He was like, I don't want to know. I don't, I, I don't want to keep, I don't want to know. I have you know to know doing this. I mean, you, you should, you absolutely know why. Cause you're, you know, your specialty, you know, they can't face, imagine the trauma and you've had a little taste, but you, you broke out of it. But now how many people have they hurt right. and covered up for Right. And they've, they've participated on the wrong side of history and the biggest G word in history and they're going to have to face that if they listen to you and that is you know they will not be able to go back to work see and the thing of it is is that i'm not making anything up it's public knowledge if -hmm. you look in the cares act so my hospital gets extra money for every person that they swab when they come in the hospital they get extra money for every diagnosis that they get from a positive result and those are all lies anyway. Like yeah, right. they're they're not reliable. Right. They, you can't you can't tell. They've incentivized the hoax, the fraud. They get extra money when they use a little medication called remdesivir. They get extra money when they mechanically ventilate a patient. They get extra money when there's a certain diagnosis on the death certificate. When, I've heard that when they don't um, leave. Each they patient also, is about a hundred thousand. Is that correct? Or I don't I know the exact totals when you add it all up, depending on each person's course of treatment throughout the process. Um, but I also know they get extra money 
for making sure that everybody who works there also. Um, so. Yeah. Yes. And that's becoming apparent now, luckily, um, in the very beginning, so many people were censored and now you've got a percentage of people that are not being centered and the truth is censored and the truth is allowed out. And, you know, the talk of is obviously an agenda, but whatever the agenda is, is either to remove certain percentage of people from the planet um, because of their global, whatever climate change thing and um, whatever it is, is it now that enough people have actually had it and they're okay and now they're going to start giving truths and making like they're the good guys like we we don't know but that's coming out now the the knowledge of the amount of money that the hospitals and doctors have been receiving is starting to come out on a broader scale i'm starting to hear from people back again that we talked about a year ago no 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 they wouldn't do that so it's interesting um that this information is now slipping out to the mainstream and slipping out to areas where the average person is starting to hear it. You well, know, right? yeah. When you're inside too, you don't want to hear it. That's because it's your, it's your livelihood. Right. Like if you, especially nurses and doctors, there's so much school debt that goes along with getting your degree you are bound to your slave system. And then on top of it, you probably got a mortgage, another prison, your own prison that you're building yourself to keep in their system, to have to keep paying it. So, and when you live paycheck to paycheck, like so many of my coworkers do, you think you're going to bite the hand that feeds you by saying, um, yeah, I don't really agree with this whole thing that you're trying to make me do here, but... I guess I have to because yeah. I need to keep working here. Well, there's a percentage of people, in my opinion, that um, that don't have instinct anymore. And whether it's from substances, fluoride, whatever it is that they've ingested, or is by turning your back on God, to me, that's one of the biggest ones. A godless society turns into a mess and chaos like this, and the evil starts to rise up. But a beautiful thing to see as many people coming back to God, but whatever the reason is, the instinctual part of many, many human beings to give them that red flag to say something's not right and to value money over that is missing. Because most people, the fear that they have to survive is what propagated all of this. Right. So think about the fear. What's that say? The meeting. Have you read this? No. No. Um, Erica, you need to read this. It is about a doctor during Nazi Germany, and he explained how he ended up being a doctor at Auschwitz. And you're dead on, but this will confirm. Yeah, I could definitely see how it could happen. I mean, but here's the difference. Here's where they didn't get me. I would rather live in a hut that I build out of twigs and mud and eat grubs and fiddleheads every day fiddlehead. for every meal. A baby like, fern. Just a oh, little green. It's like it's a, a baby fern. Yeah. They're delicious. I'm sure you've got tons in your yard. Um, I would rather, I would rather live in a cardboard box or whatever other structure I could build with whatever resources I can find and eat whatever 
than to continue to live in the kind of society that they're trying to create for us. I'm not going to spend my life on my knees doing what the next person tells me that I have to do is to be right. able to have whatever it is that they're trying to give me. Right. I don't I live with my hands out like this. Right. Um, but so many people do. That's what I like, was saying. That yeah. instinct or that survival for a clean, healthy, free life is missing. Right. The, being the slave to the dollar is more important. And that's yeah. an instinctual thing. And I think that's a spiritual thing. Yeah. Especially oh, the well, mothers that want to protect know, their children and give them a beautiful country that we had as kids. Right. So, and I'm, I've also been trying to figure out what are the factors that allow for some people to be so awake to obvious, mm -hmm. the, this obvious like thing that we're going through right now. And some people are still just like, <clears throat> science and i i really believe that we have a duty to protect others there there's different factors that you know i think it's the but news. i i used to think that i know i was a complete idiot before i saw my i i was injured and i didn't like my smack in the face was my kids being injured i i mean like and she's talking about injured by this folks. yeah so i mean I try not to be too hard on people because it took a lot for me to wake yeah. up and I was right. pretty awake. I mean, we had naturally healed my mom from cancer, like, but as far as that was concerned and like trusting stuff, I was still like, no, they've, they, I mean, I voted for Obama. I was oh, retarded. Admit that. We're going to have to cut that part out. <laughs> We're definitely well, now. <laughs> well, I I thought I used to believe that there was a real component between, you know, having God in your life, like that that brings clarity in and that the Holy Spirit can help you discern. But I'll tell you what, the 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 woman who um, insisted on having me kicked out of the college conservative Christian, yeah. the charge nurse who turned me in and shared all of her concerns with my ruffian behaviors, conservative Christian. Um, I reached out when I was looking for um, what I was going to do legally, which I'm going to tell you here about in a second. But um, when I was trying to figure out, you know, like I figured police officers, right? Like they, if, if, the sheriff knew that there were a bunch of people being murdered in a building down the road from him. Wouldn't he want to know about that? Like, wouldn't he go do something about that and stop the people from getting murdered? Um, but it turns out, so I reached out to someone, my old Sunday school teachers that I grew up with 30 years ago, and I hadn't talked to them in over 20 years. Um, and he was a state trooper. Um, and then he's a pastor now. And so I was like, surely he'll have an idea for me of someone I can trust to, to reach out to in the law enforcement community. Because when you bring in the aspect of, Oh yeah, it's at a hospital by the way. And it's for fighting this thing that they were talking about in the news a little bit. Then they're like, Oh, oh. away from the crazy lady, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, then all of a sudden I'm not a credible source anymore. But so I reached out to him and I was like, look, this is a deal. Who can I talk to? Who can I trust? What can you guide me? And he goes, Oh, well, 
I've already, you know, and I had a bypass surgery and I tell everyone I know that I'm sure that that's the reason that I'm here today to be able to talk about it. I tell everybody to get it. And I was like, wow, what an advocate right. for the mark right. of the beast. So, that's amazing. What so, a trick. I am, I'm telling you that that's not a component. There are people Holy from God. the church that I grew up in have all, here's the, here's, here's the kicker with all of them though. They all became slaves because of their own poor health. Like that's where you lose your freedom. Yes. And that's why I am working so hard doing what I'm doing now because I don't believe that you can have any amount of freedom, no matter how much you go down the road of declaring your sovereignty or, you know, getting away from you know, this, being debt free, even nothing. The, the only way that you can truly be free is to have good health and to know how to manage it without running to the people who are trying to murder you. Like that's, that's the key. You, and we have to completely create a different system outside of that, um, that entire system that exists. We have to create a parallel society of people who know how to truly heal the body. Um, I don't want to work in a place where I'm just maintaining chronic illness symptoms where they add another pill or, you know, I want to work on divert reversing disease process that can be done, but you know what? They don't teach that in med school. They don't teach that in nursing school. They don't teach that anywhere except when you go to alternative, which used to be all that existed. Right. Exactly. Prior when to people were healthy and lived tons of years. Right. Right. The tribal medicine is the medicine that we want. It's nature, nature given. And most pharmaceutical medication is synthesized from those molecules anyway. James, you okay? I'm good. All right. So you, in a nutshell then, you got turned in and then you got terminated. Well, yeah, they put me on administrative leave first um, to give me time to employ, to resolve my employment issues. That's what they said. This is a 30-day they didn't tell me it was going to be unpaid. Um, they just said, you, you need to put, do what we tell you or you have to leave. And I was like, but why? Like, and because it's policy, because it's policy. Well, they, they, I never saw a policy. I never agreed to any policy. Um, in fact, they never even told us that this doing this all the time was something that we absolutely had to be doing. It just was a culture change all of a sudden. Everyone just started doing it. And and I I never put my signature on anything that said that I was down with this. And in fact, it's considered an emergency use authorization intervention. And there are rules about that sort of thing. In order to institute an emergency use authorization, you have to give informed consent. How could any of us have had informed consent about something that we were being told we had to inject into our bodies and there was no list of ingredients? Yeah, yeah. They had a couple of town hall meetings. Um, like, yeah, right. The, they sent out emails saying, anybody who has any questions about this mandatory policy that we're moving into, come on in and ask your questions. Okay. Yeah, like, let's just identify who we all are. 
um, so that you can start bullying us. And then that's eventually what happened. They started sending leadership around to the, the floors while we were working, you guys. Like, you, you expect me to have a good, well-thought-out um, conversation with you about an important topic while I'm in the middle of giving patient care and running around. I'm like, hey, I got to get a lab real quick. You know, and they're like, so tell us your concerns. Right. Okay. I need oxygen. <laughs> yeah. Well, well that's, 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 that's part of the story too. They came around. They said, well, there's nothing that we can do about the mandatories, but we're here to support you in any way we can. And then I and they said, do you have any other questions for us? And I'm like, uh, okay. You just said, they just, it's like, it's like going, when I bought my van, I knew exactly the number that I was going to be asking for. And I said, I'm sticking to this. I've done my research and I know this. And they said, well, you can offer anything you want to on the van, except this number. Cause that's absolutely ridiculous. We're not going to do that. Well, then that seems to stop the conversation right there. Mm -hmm. But does it? It doesn't. It didn't. And so I said, yeah, with my with my bare face, I said, so when are you going to stop mandating? And they said, oh, well, right now, for some reason, we only have about 40% compliance with these. And until we have a higher compliance, these are going to continue to be mandatory. Oh, my, my first question was, how do you have the data on all of that? Like, they don't. They're just pulling numbers out of thin air. They're, they're making it up as they go. Who knows? Because they're getting reimbursed for everybody who gets it. Right. So they must be keeping track somehow, somewhere about that. Um, and then, so then I was like, okay, so. And at that point, the VAERS data was showing that there was already 13 or 14,000 deaths at the time. By the time I submitted all my legal paperwork, it was up to 20. So between in just those couple of months, and that's only for the people who can even get around to filling out the VAERS report, which I already explained is very, very laborious. And so can um, you imagine how many more there would be. I mean, there's so many just like, you know. There's so kind many. Of your situation where, you know, you have a family member that's in the hospital and you, you know what happened, but they write it up differently because they can't say that on a death certificate because then they're crazy. So, so yeah. So then it, it just kind of escalated to, um, you know, I, I, my, my administrative leave, I asked, I said, the only way that I will be able to resolve my employment issues is to be able to talk to a policy effectuator because they need to know what I know. Mm -hmm. I know that this has been planned for decades, that they're a part of conspiring with this, that they are getting incentivized to engage in a treatment plan that is causing the unnecessary death of the people that I am taking care of in my community. You know, I, I'm listing out all this stuff. I told them everything. I told them everything I knew. I had an hour and a half long conversation. They denied me being able to talk to anyone in leadership. Wow. Um, and they let me, they let me talk to the director of HR. She was very nice, by the way. Um, she really was. She, she was, um, she was really making it known to me that she cared about what I had to say. She didn't shut me down. She let me have a free, you know, place to speak everything. Um, 
in the end, she still fired me. Well, that's Whatever. their job. The HR directors are like Pied Pipers. My husband right. is in the industry. And Just writing like, all of it down. Yes. So that all they did was you. give me people who were yes men for yes. whatever the policy was. They which I never even them. saw that policy, but whatever. They can't They can't do that anyway, right, James? Like, yeah. they can't. That's like, so um, after, after they fired me, I was like, I knew that what they had done was wrong because I'm a... They've told me over and over throughout the years, we wish we could clone you. Like, right. I've never had any disciplinary action. I've, I've led initiatives in the hospital that uh, have been life changing to the, to changing the culture of the place. Like I'm also super fun. I would have little dance parties in the, in the nurses stations and bring the patients in at 10 o'clock in the mornings. You know, it was like, this is, I'm not the person you want to get rid of if you don't have to. And they were like, please just, just, just do what we're asking you to do. No matter where you go, um, you're going to have to do this. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to share with you that the most surprising thing of the whole thing for me and was I had my closest, one of my closest friends at the hospital right after this all happened and I left, she sent me a message. This is what it said. I'm going to read it. Okay. Yeah. Just humor me for just a second. No, no, go ahead. This is your show. Erica, as your friend and as someone who thinks highly of you and your family, I have to encourage you to drop your grievance. I don't see a positive outcome for you. Lawyers will take all your savings, everything you have, and there's no way any court will rule in your favor. I'm concerned that your nursing career will be ruined. We put on the monkey suit and danced to the man's organ to get the peanut at the end of the day, no matter where you work or what you do. Playing the game is the real deal. You don't have to agree to it, but you do have to do it. I would advise you to say you're sorry that you came to your senses, blame it on hormones, and keep your job. Wow. And with that, I will never, ever go to a hospital again. Wow. So... But that just tells you the mentality. This is this is a Christian and this is a patriot who said this to me and it's a close friend and it's someone who like totally gets it. But she's about this close to retirement. She doesn't have a partner in life. Um, she you know, there's there are reasons why she has to dance to the dance in the monkey suit or whatever it was that she said. Well, she doesn't but, totally get it. That's for sure. But that's exactly right. I, I will live on I will live in the 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 hut that I build myself with my bare hands before I will let somebody tell me that I have to smother to death all day for no reason. If you really do the studying on it, only thing it does is bring you harm. There's nothing about it that keeps anyone else safe either. Mm -mm. So like and I try to Share with people what they're for, why surgeons actually wear them, and it has nothing to do with viruses. Well, like, you don't want to, I don't know, there are real things that you, you, you carry bacteria in your mouth. You could spit on someone accidentally and with an open wound or whatever. I had no problem whatsoever wearing them whenever I would do a sterile procedure, like whenever I was accessing a, a port or a site or dialysis, whatever, like central lines, anything that... I'm going to be all up in your Kool-Aid and I have the chance of spitting on you right. with the bacteria in my mouth. That's one thing. Or getting fluids from them back in your mouth. Surgeons, right. blood splatter, right? They wear shields. They were, 
you don't want somebody's contaminated blood going in your mouth or in your eyes either. Right. But to wear them while I'm sitting at the nurse's station by myself documenting, which is when they came to get me, by the way. And when I came out from my meeting, I took a candid picture of everyone on the unit. Not a single person was wearing they all I have, remember that all, picture. Yeah, Let me not, see if I can find it. I'm going to yeah. show that while you guys talk. So yeah. parlay over to um, you got fired and, and what action you're taking, which is how you found us or found James. Yeah. Um, after I exhausted, after I exhausted the, um, the option of finding a lawyer, a liar who would be willing to take my case. I called a bunch of people. They were all a bunch of wieners. You guys, if any of you are watching, you're wieners. And shame on you because your your allegiance is not to the people that you're serving. Um, and I've learned that. The lawyers don't care about you. Their whole goal is just to get as much money out of you as possible. And when you get a lawyer, um, you've just told the court that you're incapable of speaking on behalf of yourself. So I learned that too. So, um, and when I left, I made sure to tell them all, I said, you know, you've taken my livelihood away from me. I don't have a job anymore. So my new job is going to be to expose you. And that's what I've been working on. So I have been learning every single thing I can about the law and about this process, um, and how to, how to represent myself because, um, I'm a single mom. I can't, I can't afford a lawyer anyway. Like I can't even afford the retainer on a lawyer, um, let alone whatever hours they would put into it. And I'm finding out there's a lot of hours, but a lot of my hours are going into learning. So, um, but yeah, so I learned about the affidavit process um, from a good friend that has been following with me during this whole thing. Um, his name is Wayne. He was also a part of the conversation. I got him on speed dial when they tried to pull me into the meeting to fire me that day. And um, they denied me my right to have a, a, an advocate on the phone as well. Um, but oh, he's really? been, yeah, yeah. Um, they were like, we do not consent to be recorded. And they all walked out of the room and wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't finish talking to me until I had gotten him off the phone. <laughs> And so I got off the phone with them and then, yeah, they gave me four options. They said I can quit. I'm like, why am I going to quit? I love these people in my community. This is my livelihood. This is how I take care of my children. They said I could um, get medical exemption. Why do I have to get any sort of exemption? Right. To Why do I have to beg permission from anyone to do something that's not good for my, to not do something that's bad for my body? I wasn't going to do that. Um, the other one was like, um, I can't find the picture to just do it, to just do what they were telling me to do. That was my other option. Um, yeah. no. Yeah. And then they gave me the option of administrative leave. And I was like, okay, what are the details on that? Wait, we don't know the details, but you get the details when you get home. I was like, okay. So, um, I guess I'll take that one since you're not letting me finish my day here. Um, and so, um, I recorded all the facts. That's what an affidavit is. It's just a statement of fact. I just recorded everything the exact way that I saw that it was. 
I also included a bunch of information about the evidence why I was choosing to do it that way. And I showed evidence of things that I had questions of about them. I was like, hey, wait a second. There's we've never even had any 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 proof of of this thing that you're saying that we were having to do all of these restrictions and mandates for. Um, I need proof of that because if you don't have proof of that, then there's no reason that you can justify any of these mandates. Mm -hmm. And then you, you got rid of a great nurse for absolutely no reason. That's my whole point. That's what I'm trying to prove. You had no other reason to get rid of me and rob me of my livelihood other than the fact of this entire fraudulent narrative that you're conspiring with. And who did you serve? A, a handful of people or one particular person or you don't have to name them if you don't 22, want to. Uh, 22 people who crossed me in this whole thing. Okay. Um, From it administrators was, to... Yeah, the, the direct manager, bless his heart, he had only taken that position a, a year before and um, super nice guy, um, but he he drank the kool-aid the director of the critical care line bless his heart he's a conservative christian too by the way um the director of human resources and the first um employment specialist they gave me to deal with in the first place who was no good at all that didn't do anything that um uh, that should have it didn't go it didn't go well that whole process and then um, the chief executive officer that sent out all the emails all the time, coercing us, bullying us, the chief nursing officer and the VP of operations who made their rounds to come around and coerce us while we were working. Oh, but they gave us free ice cream one day and, and the chance to win a community network t-shirt. So let, can I interrupt you real quick? And just because we have a different audience, I'm gonna pop James over here and have him explain to the folks what an affidavit is and why you're using them and how, why and how they're just so effective. And then you finish, finish up your story. But I think a lot of people don't really, because we've all heard that lingo, right? On TV shows and whatever. But tell, tell this audience, James, if you could, because it's not an affidavit audience, you know, what they are and why they're so powerful. Sure. Um, so affidavits, in, in short, is just it's sworn testimony that's taken out of court. Um, it's, it's the opportunity for you to be able to write down, collect your thoughts, put it on paper, put down a history of what happened when, who was involved. Um, and how you feel you were wronged. Uh, it's an administrative process. So the, the courts and legal terms and things of that nature tend to scare a lot of people for, for good reason. Uh, and, and I shouldn't say good reason, um, by design is probably the better term. Yeah. Uh, you know, because Erica just mentioned, you know, her, her friend, a trusted friend wrote her this, this message or, or letter, whatever it was, and said, you're going to waste your entire savings trying to fight this. And, and she's not wrong. Um, according to the American Bar Association, four out of five people who need an attorney cannot afford one. And that's just the sad situation. Yeah. So, so what, what the methods that I, that I, that I use and the methods that I teach 
uh, is there's no guarantee it works. Um, it's not it's not a one size fits all. It's going to fix every single problem, but it's a good place to start because what you're doing is you're you're letting these people know, hey, based on what's going on, I believe rhymes. I, could, I believe you could be in some serious trouble here. So this is your, your this is kind of your wake up call. And say, hey, knock it off. Because um, one of the hardest things to prove in any criminal case is the intent. Was the intent there to commit this crime? Well, if you submit affidavits to an offending party and they just shrug them off like 95% of them do, well, now they don't have that defense. Now they've been they've been served. They know they've been served as far as they, they they've been made aware that they're committing crimes, and they're just like, yeah, well, we're going to do it anyway. I mean, we're seeing this all over the place, especially with our good men and women in the military. The military is is doing these things too. So so that's in a nutshell. That's that's what an affidavit is, um, and that's that's why it can be useful and effective in situations. Uh, not, not in situations like this, but in any situation where you feel like your rights are being violated. Where, where you feel like crimes are being committed against you or even other people that you know. And you can, uh, if you want to fill out an affidavit and get a process started for recourse for yourself, Affidavits 101, James um, has videos on there and templates and everything you need. And the Telegram group, Affidavits 101 also, he is available. He and Alina, Crash and myself, we, we pop in whenever we can. Uh, and delete some spam, but we don't have very many answers for anyone, but yeah, he's right. really, really good at answering questions and helping people out. So, um, yeah. And, and, and thanks to, uh, thanks to justice. Cause she's the one who put that entire website together. I, I have, I cannot claim anything whatsoever other than what the material that's on there. So oh, well, the one who did it all, so. That's what we're doing. We're all sharing information. That's how we get free of this stuff, right? So thank you yeah, for your build energy. our own system outside of the system and right. hold right. the old system accountable. Right. Correct. So th thanks for your energy in there, James. And James is helping Erica um, through this process. So go ahead and pick up there where you left off. I just wanted people to understand why you chose that process. You don't have to go broke. You don't need the liar system. Right. Um, it is a very time intensive process. I'm also taking um, a course on um, learning everything I need to about the, the law process and how to represent yourself. Um, and it's been very empowering. Like everyone in my family and people before I left work, they were like, Erica, you used to be such a delightful person. Why are you so angry all the time now? You're delightful. Like, I was like, well, I love you. Because yeah. everyone around me is breaking the law. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't know what the law is, then how do you know? And that's, it. Ugh, you guys, my oldest son, he took government and econ in one week at school. <laughs> That's what they taught him. Just so um, they could say they did. Um, do you, are you taking that course it. online? Yes. Do you have a link for it? I will, I will definitely share that link because um, I also found out that if you help this guy um, promote the link, then you get a portion of the money too for it, which would be great because I've got some costs coming up and mm -hmm. I'm still not working. <laughs> What's so? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and um, I'll have to copy room. and paste it. It's a I'll send it. I can I can send it to you too. Yeah, um, if you can do it now in the chat too, that would be great because the viewers can get a hold of it. But if not, no big deal. Wow, I can save your life, but I don't know if I can handle. Okay, then don't don't follow that during <laughs> this. I can bring you back to life after you've stopped breathing, but I don't know if I can copy and paste from my email. If you, um, um, if you get something like a gift send go or something set up as well, um, let us know the link so we can share that. Bless your heart. I'm yes. still living off of my savings. I have, I have, um, I did not file for you unemployment. Know, bless your heart in the South does not I, mean good things. I did not um, file for unemployment. I made them fire me because I had to go on record to show that this was against my will entirely, that I did not want to stop working. I would have, I've worked for them for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I would have worked for them for another 20 years more. This is my community. You know, this is how I care for people. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever gone through the unemployment process. I never had. Um, I looked at it, but it's another contract mm -hmm. with the same system that I don't want to be a part of anymore. Right. I know that the, the my company paid for unemployment insurance just for specific situations like this, but I'm not going to bow down and beg anyone to do anything that is the right thing to do. If you're not already doing that, I don't want to have business dealings with you. So let us know. Tell us where the process is with your affidavits. And then I want to share. We had a long conversation yesterday, Erica, and I want to share what your vision is for the future, which is something Crash kept posting some months ago to all of the uh, healthcare workers that do not. Ooh, I know what you're going to say. I know you know what I'm going to say. So share with us, you guys, James and Erica, what, what, where the process is, what's the next step, what you're waiting for, that kind of thing. Well, I have already submitted. Okay, so I sent all this stuff off in December originally, but the USPS lost my certified mail. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm talking to you, USPS, if you're listening. You're not supposed keep to putting do air that quotes up. If you're listening to this on a podcast, I keep putting air quotes up when she says things. <laughs> yes, we will upload this to podcast, so you'll have no visual. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they lost it, and I kept waiting for them to send it because it, it was like on the 21st of December, so I kept waiting for you know, the, the notice, I figured, oh, maybe things are slowed down with the holidays or whatever. I just kept letting it go and letting it go. And I'm still not getting notice that it was received. So finally, I just sent it all again in January, um, like the 11th or 12th or something. Uh, and, and I sent it FedEx and they got it there the very next day, awesome. private enterprise. Anyway, just another evidence of how everything the government touches turns to doo-doo. But well, I saw that they were um, confiscating medication that doctors prescribed. So I have no doubt that they were doing other things like that as well. Dirty. Yep. Anyway, so they have received it. I sent it to the CEO um, and it's for all the board members as well, because they're all making the decisions. They're all overseeing this entire fraudulent narrative and pushing it in every aspect of operations of the organization. Um, I sent the information for them to read. Uh, I sent studies. I sent like, you know, all the stuff that was that I used to make a decision about what I was doing. And I told them, I said, and this is what an affidavit is about. Here is what I'm saying is the truth. It's your duty to correct me on anything that I've said that isn't true. 
also in affidavit form. And if you don't do that, if you don't correct me on something, then it's your way of agreeing that what I have said is true. And that is part, correct, James, of the actual lawful part of an affidavit, is it not? Yeah, so <clears throat> oh, some clarification on that. A lot of people get confused that when they submit affidavits that if the other side doesn't reply, then they can just go and file liens. They can go file claims against them. And that's not true. You still have to go through the court process. There is no law that requires anyone to reply to an affidavit. However, it's to their detriment because when you do get to that point and you submit those affidavits as part of exhibits to your lawsuit, where you are the actual affiant, you are the author of the document, that is actual evidence can be used. There's another big mis misleading, um, I've seen this on some telegram chats where people say affidavits are hearsay. Well, that's true. So for example, if Justice, if you wrote an affidavit and I included it in my lawsuit and I wanted to use that as evidence, if you're not available to be cross-examined, then that affidavit is hearsay. So the difference is, is if you are the author, you are the affiant of that document, that is evidence because you can be cross-examined. And the beautiful part about these affidavits, uh, and I'm sure Erica will get to this, but you, you've, you've basically you've given them this opportunity to make things right before you get the legal people involved. And they if you don't respond, up in the air I begged said, them, I said, please repent, yeah. turn around, save yourself. Turn from your ways. I, I put that in there. Yeah. And they just they just turn their nose up in the air. And so and then, the issue now is when you do get to that point and they are served with your lawsuit and those affidavits are attached as exhibits, though that means those affidavits, now they must be rebutted because there is exactly plausible deniabilities removed. Because now what happens when you serve that lawsuit and that pleading? And those affidavits are attached as exhibits they must be rebutted and if they're not in their reply or their answer to your lawsuit then they just agreed to every single word in it and that is legal and lawful according to the rules of, of procedure and according to law and case law and then your lawsuit is that much uh better right yeah i just i not not to get off subject but i had uh, I had a lawsuit that I, I served and we I submitted all my affidavits that I sent to all these individuals uh, as part of that. And uh, the reply back from this other shyster lawyer, liar, <laughs> made no mention of the affidavits. I'm like, okay, perfect. Great. You didn't rebut any of these affidavits. You didn't rebut any of the things I put in here. So in my reply back to the court, is like, hey, according to this, they just now agreed to all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So the courts aren't going to just this is another thing people get confused on. The courts aren't just going to say, okay, yeah, well, based on this rule, they didn't do this. So that means you, that, that uh, you prevailed. You have to point that out. Mm -hmm. you, it, all, all the judge is, is a referee. I'm wearing my referee shirt today. Right? So I know what the rules are and I'm supposed to enforce the rules. And if somebody tries to bend those rules or breaks those rules, then it's my job to stop them. Right. That's what the judge is supposed to do. It doesn't happen all the time, but that's right. what they're supposed to do. But it's going to take the people to stand up and do this process. I was telling uh, my right. cousin this morning that all these laws are being broken, but they know the game. They're going to keep doing it until individuals, case by case and person by person, take them to court 
and then they win. Look what just happened in Tampa. The yeah. uh, the 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 thing for the Air Force was blocked because yeah. it's unlawful. So they're 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 all winning, but you have to go through this lengthy process, and it and it is a fight. And God bless you for doing it. Erica. And this is the problem that a lot of these, so a lot of these headlines that refer to these mandates are misleading. So, like for example, the Supreme Court denies to get involved with the health care mandate. Right. Because the problem is, is they're challenging whether they can mandate or not. A healthcare company can mandate all they want. That's not the issue. The issue is that they're trying to force medical interventions on your bodily autonomy. Right. The Supreme Court has said multiple times, you have a right to bodily autonomy. No one can tell you what to do with your body. Right. Remember that whole my body, my choice thing? Yeah, yeah. That went out the window, didn't it? It only matters if it's actually somebody else's body inside your Correct. body. Correct. But that's my point. So to, to Erica mentioned that, you know, these masks, uh, these things are approved under emergency use authorization. Well, guess what? That law says two things. You have two rights according to that law. Number one, the right to inform consent. And number two, the right to refuse. Right. So if you're not given those options, then that individual just broke federal law. Right. And any other state crimes. And, and I haven't seen or heard of yet anyone that's taken these to court and has lost because the documentation and the laws are already there. They're yeah, already they're in place. They're but built into what they wrote because they wanted to cover their own butts. Right. Yeah. But it's up to us to get like what Erica's doing now, which I hope you share that link, is educate yourself. Even if you want to listen to podcasts while you're driving videos, learn more about the law. Start small. Start simple. Learn how to protect yourself. This is the point that we're at. All these things were put in place in America for this reason years ago. <laughs> so. Yeah. This is what the founding fathers envisioned. They envisioned this. And here's the thing, too, is, is when you go into court and you know your rights and you stand on your rights, if you've got a competent judge, they're going to be like, yeah, you're right. See, this, this is why we as individuals are way more powerful than anything else. Because, hey... This happened to me. I can testify to the facts of this case because right. I, I was, according to the rules of evidence, I have need of personal knowledge. Evidence rule 602. But that shyster sitting over there, that liar, has no clue what happened other than what their client told them or what they're deducting from my, my pleadings. Right. So they, they, they cannot testify and they do it all the time. But nobody stops them. Right. Right. And until so, you stand up and say, well, hold up, objection, um, I'm going to need to put them under oath. They're testifying. So if you have questions about any of this, I'm going to put the telegram in the chat. Um, let us know. Let James know. We'll do. And James is so busy and so gracious with his time. Doesn't charge a penny. Never has. None of us do. Um, but, you know, if you We're don't. Answer, no. <laughs> If you don't get an answer back right away, it's not that you're being ignored. It's just a time factor. Stay strong and yeah. tag again, tag crash or tag myself, um, Alina or James in that chat. And we'll do our best to get you the help that you need. We don't want you to be a statistic in the chat and never get your questions answered. So um, be persistent. This is what this time is all about. So Erica. I did just, I did just figure it out. Oh, good. I put it in the private chat. Okay. Oh, okay. I got it. Thumbs up to me for doing that. That was okay. a major big deal. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> so you sent it in. How many days did you give them? Has that time passed? Have they responded? Um, 
I gave them I gave them 15 days to respond. Um, but I actually gave them 30 when the when the long and the short of it is because most state laws are 30 day response. Doesn't matter. They didn't respond anyway. They probably looked at it and were like, yeah, whatever. She made a lot of crazy statements. But um, so now my next my next step is um, I'm working on um, the complaints. Criminal complaints. Working on yeah, we've got we've got one for the state. Well, one for my county, one for the state, and then one for the FBI, because I'm making claims that I'm finding the laws that they're in violation of. And that's what this whole course, what this whole course teaches you, because before I did this course, it was pretty nebulous on how the whole thing works. We've only seen stuff on TV, mm. um, you know, what it's like in a trial. Dun, dun. Which, by the way, I will be, if it gets to that point, I will be requesting a jury um, because, you know, the people have so much power. Like we were talking, we were taught about the executive branch, the legislative branch, the judicial branch, how that works. But we're never taught the power of the people, the grand jury and how how like if we take this, if I've done my job well enough, which. I plan to. They freed up the wrong chalupa's time. I'm telling you. <laughs> they, it, I, I won't even have to go to court most likely because you can win your case before you even have to go into a court setting. Because all I have to do is move the court to rule on what already exists as law in in all of this. Now, the defendants, they'll have the responsibility to try all their tactics to get out of having to answer me on all this stuff, but they really only have a couple of options. They can, you know, motion to strike if anything is scandalous or nothing. I'm not bringing up any scandals. Um, they'll probably most likely do the motion to dismiss, and based on what grounds, I don't know. We'll look forward to seeing what they have to say on that. Or um, the motion to clarify more clearly what I'm even asking. And there won't be any question about what yeah. my issues are. Have yeah, you I, thought about um, the criminal charges that are implied in what happened? Yeah. Yeah, we, we spent, uh, was that earlier? No. What week are we in? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it was just it was just like within the last week, I think we Yeah, did. We, we we jumped on a Zoom call. I don't remember if that, that was last week, right, Erica? Yeah. Yes, it was. So we dropped we jumped on a Zoom call to talk about that. Um the the, the hardest part is okay. determining which state crimes apply. The federal stuff is easy. I mean, that's pretty all encompassing. I mean, we, we talked about this. There's two of them, Title 18. USC 241 and 242, that pretty much covers everything. Deprivation of rights and conspiracy against rights. I mean, that's there. So, um, and those are both felonies, by the way, in case people are wondering. Uh, they carry a minimum of three years, I believe, in a federal prison. So um, the issue is, is all you have to do in, in, in this situation, and not just in Erica's, but in any situation, you have to plead correctly in your court documents that, hey, I have this right today. This is my right, my God-given right. 
in this manner, woman, or this organization, because, I mean, again, when we, when we get into the whole legal side of things, you can sue a corporation. Corporations are sued all day long. And I, at, when you get to that point, you do it because they have all the money. So money talks, people. That's, mm-hmm. that's the reality. Money that's talks. what we're seeing. But when I, wrote, when I wrote the affidavits, I wrote to the men and the women. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't writing to the director of HR. I was writing to Deb Townsend. Like I am writing to you as a woman. Mm-hmm. I am, you're not acting within your capacity as you're depriving me of these rights. You are responsible as the woman that I'm calling out who you are. Like, just like I'm bringing my case as a woman, a human, a living being soul. I'm not like under the authority of any jurisdiction. I am like, I'm asserting my rights. That's the thing that people have forgotten and they don't know. They don't know that we have the right to breathe freely just because we were born to breathe freely. Like it just, it seems so like to me, but. I have a question. Um, I've seen a lot of people using insurance bonds that like elected officials have to hold. Do board members of a hospital have to hold the same type of thing in case they get sued? And if so, could you use a similar process? So um, I can answer that too. The, the, like there, there's the website bonds for the win, I believe. Um, it is, I like the idea, I like where they're going, but I think the big misconception is, is that we can find remedy to our situations outside of the courts. And that's just not true. So what will happen yeah. is this is so Eric, let's take Erica's case, for example, and let's just say they do have one and she files a, a, a notice of claim with this insurance company. The insurance company is going to take that notice of claim and hand it to their attorney. And then they're going to say, deal with this. Insurance companies are businesses. They're in the They're in the money. They're in the business to make money. They're not in the business to pay claims. So they're going to find every reason not to pay a claim. And the only way that they can be compelled to do so is a court order. So that's why even these, now you might get lucky. You might, so like these, these parents, for example, at these school district meetings that were serving these board members, notices of claims against their bonds. Well, you know, that, that achieved the remedy they were looking for because a lot of those school board members changed their ways. And that's great. That's fine. Uh, I'm not opposed to that. I mean, ultimately we want the madness to stop. Yes. It's, if that gets the job done, then by all more power to you. Right. What I am going to say is, is. 90 plus percent of the time they're going to stick their nose up in the air and say go pound sand okay well as of late i just want you to know that has been their focus it's been the school boards and they are having a lot of success with it um the last time i checked just so you know so for whatever that reason is if it's just the school boards um they are backing down so that is a good thing like james said whatever the method doesn't matter what the method is. I think when you get into what Crash is talking about, and it's more of a non-elected officials insurance situation, there's a big fight there. Well, um, well, here's well, the they're, other they're thing not elected, but they're appointed. Well, the surety bonds are for elected officials, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what I was saying. If there's a, a similar type insurance type bond that they would have to hold as somebody on the board of a hospital. Well, and and to your point, Crash. Here's the thing. So 
when this man or woman is sued, you're going to sue them in their official capacity as director of HR or as CEO of such and such and as an individual. Now all their personal assets are up for game. Right. That's really going to get these people thinking. And the same That's is true. Right. The same is true no matter if they're a public servant or if they're in the private sector. It's the same thing. These okay. people now know that they're being opened up for major liabilities. So if they do have an, an insurance policy, that's going to cover them under their official title. But now they have nothing backing them up under their individual side of things. Exactly. And that's why I was bringing it up, because if we sue just the corporations, the corporations have major insurance coverage for lawsuits. And really, they're just going to be like another one. So. Yeah. And this is this has been the problem is that far too long when you take something like this to one of these one of these shyster liars, all they do is just go after the corporation because they're just looking for that quick, easy pay payout. Out. They're looking for a quick settlement. See, I'm not looking for a quick settlement. I am. And if somebody comes, you know, if one of the people I'm suing says we want to settle this, great. But I'm looking for change. Yeah. More so not than anything really. else, I'm yeah. looking for change. And the, so where Erica is right now with her criminal complaints, you know, the master of criminal complaints is Randy Kelton down in Texas. I'm pointing that way because Texas is that way from me. So I apologize. That's just how people. <laughs> uh, so Randy Kelton, and he and he says this, he says, I love my public servants like I love my grandchildren. Oftentimes they just get off into the weeds and they're lost and I need to bring them back home. So I don't file criminal complaints against public servants or anybody get them indicted and thrown in jail. I want to get their attention. I want them to know that what they're doing is not what we put them there to do. Right. So the same thing is true with these individuals in the private sector, the CEO, the director of HR, even her immediate boss. They don't think that they can be held liable for this when in, in reality they can't and they are. Right. And this is how you do this is how you do that. Right. We want we want them to wake up and stand with us, not to have to file bankruptcy. Right. We're not trying to ruin lives here. We're trying right. to, you know, help have none our it, actually have a future. None of this is um, punitive. Like I told you, I, I live like I'm going through the Great Depression and I could live out a hut and eat grubs and fiddleheads. I'm not joking how simply I live. I don't go shopping. I don't have a greedy bone in my body, but the only thing these hospital systems care about is money. That is it. They're, look what they're willing to do for it to get it. I mean, yeah. then that's the thing you have to go after to send the right, message. Right, right. And that's where people say, you know, I've seen back talk towards that. Oh, you just want to pay out. No, but if that's what stops them, if that's what they, if that's their language, then yes. What you do with the money afterwards, keep it for your time and aggravation, give it to children's, whatever it is, that's your business. But if that's the language they speak, then that's what you have to do. That's just the game. I mean, what's, what, here I am thinking, I've lost so much sleep over knowing that eight miles that way, James, eight miles <laughs> that way. See, we're, we're, we're just pointing. <laughs> Today, right now, as we're talking, someone in that hospital is getting remdesivir right now. Still. Did you that is happening still. And am I gonna how am I gonna make that stop? I've thought about it a thousand different ways. I there's a little sidewalk right by the um 
stoplights at, at the entrance of the hospital. Perfect little place for a desk for me to set up as my new job with signs everywhere. Oh. And I want to protest. I want to hand out flyers. I want to talk to people in the hospital. But then I just become that crazy lady who is intrusive. I don't want to dilute my message with the delivery of it. Have I you thought about just stop. sending um, the study that was conducted on Ebola where it was pulled? Just you that? Can send, it's you in can there. You can your desk like uh, yeah. Jane Crowder and put yeah. the sign in front and say, Remdesivir stops your kidneys, change my mind. And let them do the talking. You know, absolutely. Sometimes Trust me, I've thought of it. I, yeah. I I, would like to recruit some friends and set, set up a series of us in a line along the main street in the hospital. But I don't really have any friends anymore. They've they've all abandoned me um, in this process. <laughs> they'll I would come up there, but I'm pretty sure my horses and chickens would be very hungry. <laughs> you know, they'll come back and it's... Um, you know, I always, I always go to God. I'm like, if God, you know, my dad left when I was little and I spent, spent some time being sad and I had an epiphany one day. I'm like, God's my father. What? I've never been sad again. Right. We don't want to go after people that don't want to be in our lives. We want the tribe of people that love us to no matter what, you know, it, and that's just the way it works. So they'll come back. Like people will come back once they start seeing more truths come out. I mean, we just happen to be granted with the insight to see this over two years ago and suffer and through it. it. And on that note, if somebody's trying to find me after all this started and you thought I was crazy and you slammed the door on me, um, I've changed my number. <laughs> and it's no reflection on you. I just changed my number. So um, I don't want y'all to like, I'm just putting that out there because I know I've had people contact me through my mom like, oh, she changed her number to not talk to me again. No, I just changed my number because I finally put roots down. Yeah, yeah. Don't take it personal. Yeah. So for so, reference, it's 616-23. <laughs> but you could spend a day doing that. You could hand out information about it to patients as they walk into the hospital. You know, there's something that can be done, but you know, that's a, that's a brainstorm. We can, we can do a broadcast specifically on it. Maybe we can get Dr. Artist to come on with us and just talk. We could do that. like fortune masks where you have, you know, the lucky draw thing, you know, everybody's reaching into the grubby pile of masks to put it on when they go into the hospital, have them wrapped up with a little fortune in the middle a little that when they open it up, it has information on it. <laughs> Now we're being all kinds of ideas. This is horrible for you. Very near future. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, um, you know, you've been through a lot. Um, you've seen a lot. I remember when we first met, you, you cried to us talking about how you advocated for these patients. And it's making me cry. Think about it. Cause we are all empaths, I think. And we feel for these people and their families. And then I watched my mother-in-law go through it and, it's absolutely heartbreaking. It's the biggest crime I think ever committed, obviously on a global scale. And we pray for our human brothers and sisters to wake up and we are behind you all the way. We'll support you no matter what and with whatever you need. Um, you have updates and you wanna come back on again. You know, and James, thank you for, for helping her. Um, this is a, a paramount example and a paramount case of what's going on 
all over the country and all over the world in the medical institutions. And thank you so much for being so brave and so loving because your act, it's an act of love what you're doing. Mm -hmm. The last thing and the farthest thing it is from selfishness. It's a huge act of love. You didn't take the payoff. You didn't take the easy way and you're standing up for humanity and that's beautiful. And thank you so much for doing that. Got to do something. It yeah. stressed me out more to just sit around and watch it all happen. And, you know, I get job offers every day. I, I am like, you know, I don't know how they're getting my information because I've stopped putting my information out there. But um, I'm like, yeah, I got another job offer today. All they want me to do is inject myself with an unknown substance that seems to be causing harm all over the place and smother all day. That's it. That's all I have to do to get $6,000 a week right yeah, now is what they're paying nurses. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There's not yeah. enough money in the world to get me to go into that right now, which is why I'm spending my efforts on um, creating something totally different. Yes, let's talk about that real quick. Hey, uh, real quick, I've actually got to, I've got to run, I gotta go pick up my daughter from school. Okay. But thank you for having me on. Thank you, Erica. I look forward to talking with you again soon once we can hammer out your criminal complaints. Yeah. So. Thanks for coming out. It's coming along nicely. Thank you, good. I'm, I can't wait to see you. Yeah. All right, thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Bye, James. Guys. See you. Bye. Bye. That was so nice that he popped in. Yeah, he's such a good man. Yeah, it's like passing, put, paying it forward. He's helping me and then I'm helping others. And I just, I want to be able to do that. The more people we can wake up to get, it's one thing for them to keep <coughs> me alive. They made an example of me because I was the only one willing to stand up in my hospital for this. Um, but if there were, had been 10 of us, maybe they would have been less likely to be like, Oh, let's, you know, cause it's a huge cost for them to replace us. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, I just had a meeting a couple weeks ago. I'd been working on, um, gathering all the, I want to centralize cause like I'm in an, I'm, I've been in a hospital network, right. And in a network, you've got eye doctors, ear doctors, skin doctors, heart doctors, lung doctors, you know, everybody that you need, case management, social work, physical therapy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it, it makes it easier for a person entering into a system like that because everything is centralized. But there's nothing like that, at least in where I live. There's kind of something like that on the north side of Indianapolis. Um, but on the south side, there's nothing. And so I had just started contacting um just the right people, you know, as they've been dropped into my path, um, been making these connections with people. And um, we've had some initial meetings on how to centralize um, natural health services, like all the modalities that go along with it. And the idea being um, that our health is our number one key to our freedom and enjoying this world um, without having to run to the hospitals. Is there another place where you could go to in our community um, to, to be able to receive help for, for yourself um, when you need it? So that's been my goal in trying to bring all the right people to the table 
um, who can do that. Now, I know there are those of us who are trained in trauma and um, critical care and some of the emergency stuff. And I've been meeting a lot of natural health practitioners who are um, more chronic health focused and um, lifestyle sort of thing, preventative. Um, and I've recently been connected with a surgery group that um, has like, um, they're a Christian organization um, and it's a, it, at a third of a cost of what it costs to get things done in the hospitals. Right. Um, these are the people like, if we can provide this kind of a service to people where we're actually involved in your life, we care about you, we'll hug your children, we'll spend time with you, we'll go over all of your habits. How are you sleeping? How, do you have trauma in your life? These right. are questions that doctors who pop in your room for five minutes, they don't care. They're like, they'll open your chart, they'll look at your last set of vitals, they'll look at your existing list of medical conditions and add another pill yeah. to, to your regimen. And if you want that, fine, keep going to the place where they've got all the Whitney's. You know, like if that's if that's your cup of tea, but I think they're going to weed themselves out because of all of that that's going on. Um, my specific my specific interest is in um, mental health and addictions. I I watched for 20 years now. I've watched people who are seriously hurting and suffering who go to these facilities and go to doctors and they go to counselors and therapists and try to get help. And they'll take the pills that they recommend and they don't get help. Um, I'm tired of seeing that. I'm studying ways that will actually help and heal with that. I have a dream to have um, my own apothecary where I grow all of my own medicinal plants. Um, and like make Dr. Bomer. Exactly. Um, but as a Western medicine nurse, I have so much to unlearn mm -hmm. as well as to learn. I'm learning how the body really works on top of mastering law and figuring everything I can about natural health. I also pulled my youngest son out of public schools because they were smothering him to death all the time too. Uh, and so now I'm homeschooling him. I'm helping organize the community with a, a homeschooling co-op and you know, this natural health practice I'm trying to help oversee and doing my own lawsuit and trying to figure out when to do laundry and the dishes. And um, so I am busier than I have ever been, um, even when I was working full time and managing my home. So um, it's definitely an exciting time in history. And I'm meeting such wonderful people you guys, I have to give a shout out just really quickly because um, someone special just had a birthday yesterday on 2-22-22 and celebrated it at 2-22. But um, she she has she contacted me after I did the medical freedom rally in North Carolina, which some of you guys are watching, too. Um, and thank you for being so supportive. But um, I, she I did uh, an article in the Epic Times about fired healthcare workers. I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. I had a number of people reach out to me afterwards just to encourage me. And one of the ladies who did that, she she wrote me initially, and I've been writing her back. 
we we email each other several times a week. She's become my very best friend. And she just told me the other day that she celebrated her 85th birthday. I thought maybe she was like 60 or something, you know, like I thought she's like my parents' age. We've been talking every week. She's become my best friend. So Jill, um, thank you for blessing my life. I'm meeting the people who are supposed to be coming into my life and who are encouraging me and who connect with my message and what we're trying to do and who don't think I'm crazy. You have no idea how much that blesses my heart to know like you crash and justice. You guys have been so encouraging to me. Um, thank you. Cause it has been a lonely road that I have been walking, um, trying to, I, I've given up everything that I knew about the way that I had um, in my life, everything that I could expect, having a regular paycheck, um, having a regular schedule, having, you know, everybody knew where they were going. We had all our plans in place and now it's all gone and yeah. something new is coming. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It's hard though. I went through it. It's very hard. Tell me the name of that article. I want to put it in the chat for people. What's the headline? Oh, it was on new year's Eve actually. Um, it was, uh, I don't know. I put it on my rebel nurses site on telegram. I posted a link to it. Um, some people had trouble getting to it because it was a premium article. So it was hard to read, but oh. it was oh. really good. I was one of three people who were, um, highlighted as having been fired, um, for, for similar things in all of this right before Christmas, it was like, you know, people felt extra bad for me. The single mom who doesn't have a job, you know, it's like. <laughs> One day very soon, your termination letter will be framed on your wall in your new office. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just hoping that the world opens up to a place where we're the kind of people that you want invested in your health and mm -hmm. teaching you how to become healthy. Like, do you want do you want to have the kind of doctors who are outside of your room calling you a COVID idiot and nurses who are telling your family members they can't come in and visit you? Do you want I don't even want to be in the line with them at the grocery store. Of exactly. course, I don't want them taking care of Do you of want me. the receptionist at the doctor's office who says, I'm sorry, please step behind the line and make sure to put your mask on before you go back into the room? No. Who wants that? That's what it's become. And too many people are willing to go along with it. Well, if you're not willing to go along with it anymore, then reach out to me and we'll figure out how to get you started in your community to be able to start forming these, you know, it's true grassroots. I am nobody special. I am like, I'm just Joe Schmo doing my best in the world out there trying to, you know, and I'm going to I'm going to put this life. out there to the healthcare workers that are watching this, because um, there's a lot of super high IQ and I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I have a very high IQ. I was very successful before we were injured. And um, I have invested about a decade of research, not just in the medical literature and studies, but also digging into all kinds of natural health literature, not like we don't, when we're taking care of our own child and our own family, and we're trying to get out of that system for our families, we don't just rely on, you know, YouTube, we research. Yeah. We'll find a mom or dad that has had a child that was injured 
that had to go down this road mm -hmm. because we've we've got all of it and we're we're wanting people to want it because we don't want to just help our, our own kids we want this to change well that's where the ignorance comes in is there's there's a reason people you want to call anti-vax hell yeah i'm anti-vax i don't want to take something that's going to poison me or watch my child climb into a dark hole you know i don't get offended by that call it to me all you want but there's a reason my one of my closest friends was my neighbor here she's got four boys three out of four of them are injured went dark right after and she was a nurse she's right away you know your child you know what affects your child and i totally agree with crash find a mom find somebody that's gone through it and you'll learn a lot about what you're not hearing a lot of truth that you're not getting <clears throat> I'm actually, that's why I keep going out. I'm sitting here waiting. I have a friend coming over who I'm helping them in that situation. I mean, we've had to go off grid, not like I'm not providing medical. I'm just giving information. And if they need access to something, then I help them. But I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving them medicine. I'm teaching them how to heal. Right. But I mean, you don't want to be anyway, because no, my dad, my I dad was supposed to be at school right now to be a doctor. I was accepted into the program. I was I should be finishing my degree this semester. Dodged a bullet there. Holy no God. kidding. You couldn't pay me enough money to get into medical. <laughs> like, So no. my dad, um, when he uh, moved on with his life, um, the next, we call her my stepmom, step but the woman he was with, she was a nurse uh, for many, many years. And then she was the head of poison control. And she said, if you ever need to know anything about a medication, do not ask a doctor. They know nothing about toxicology. Call poison, control. call poison control. Do you know how many people we get phone calls for, for misprescriptions? from the doctors giving them the wrong medicine and they have because they don't want like you said they don't know enough about the person's history they don't know enough about their body chemistry don't even care to and the person has a terrible reaction or sadly winds up passed away which is number three or four in our country uh in lists of deaths i would say it's number one right now if you actually did the real numbers well uh, yeah one right now if you want to include yeah yeah Everything. so Keep that in mind. Everybody has a poison control in their region. Get the phone number, put it in your phone. If you have any questions about anything, that's who you call. And I 100% agree because my mom works for a pharmacist and he has not read an insert. He has gotten his booster and he pushes her, who has survived cancer, to go get. And when she says, have you read about it? He says, no, but I was told that it's good. And he's sticking to that. That's and he's bigger. a pharmacist, which is his job is supposed to be to know what's in stuff to make right. sure that it's not going to interact with other stuff and all right. this other stuff. Clueless. There's got to be some sort of element to all of this that allows some people to have been given over to the delusion of it all. That's the only thing I can come up to that you can present all the information right in front of someone's face. Mm -hmm. have get you can give them unequivocal proof and they're still like hypnosis but i i still trust that mm -hmm. it's right erica yeah it's the news i i there's something You're in an abusive it. relationship it is it's a stock but he loves me 
But I think there's something hypnotic. I think, it, I mean, this sounds weird, but I, people, it's almost like they're under a spell. We were talking about this yesterday, Erica. It's like, is this a, I mean, we're going off tangent. We should probably wrap it up. But is this a experiment in mind control? Because it seems like it. How do you show somebody proof? How do you tell somebody this is an FDA website? You go to jail for a lot. That's not new, though. That, I mean, that's not new because for the last, like, a long time I have been in this fight and I will go to somebody with all the proof, all the proof, like so much proof. And I will say, this is what happened to my kids. This is all the proof of what I used to heal them. And they will go, you're crazy. Right. So that's, it's not new. It's just right. amplified right now. Or they parrot the news. Like when it comes to the VAERS website, right? You can tell them that you can go to jail and be fined like $25,000 for lying to VAERS. Or the fact that the CDC said that it's inaccurate nullifies their vaccine act. It's and no, no, that's uh, anyone can post on that. That's not valid really. Because if you really knew what VAERS was, you'd understand that the news is lying. You just parroted their little spiel and that's wrong. It's wrong. But he loves me. So sad. Anyway, we can we're digressing. We can go on and on and talk, but um, will you keep us posted on your, whatever happens next um, sure. with your lawsuit and with your up and coming natural clinic? I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, healing. Well, I know exactly what I want to call it. Okay. Um, well, the line of it, there'll be a couple of different things, but um, sovereign wellness, because how can you really, I love it. you know, mm -hmm. it, it is about your sovereignty is about your wellness. Right. And look how well they've lied to us like about how we can do that. I don't know. We, we know how to cure the body. We can't yeah. say that. Because yeah. then the government will come down on us and say, we can't cure, pre prevent, treat, what, whatever they make you say these days. Right. I don't like those rules. Well, like I, I'm with you. And I think people are starting to not recognize their authority anymore and create new organizations for new licensing and new you know, authorizations and things that are valid. So people can get honest, healthy information yeah. But not to validate or even recognize the authority of these oligarchical institutions that are saying in America that we can't say something heals you. The dandelion flower heals you, people. It is amazing. Don't ever the use root, the leaf, everything. It's own hey, Erica, um, contact me after this. I okay. want, I just did my whole greenhouse and all my medicinal herbs for the spring, and I have a lot left over. I would like to send you some. <gasps> so anyway, I, I, uh, I agree. And many people are not recognizing these authorities anymore and forming new systems. And it's beautiful that you're doing it. And we're excited for it. And I think it's happening all over the country, actually. Um, and that's beautiful. And that's what I was saying. Crash was saying months ago, form your own clinics. And people were like, but I lose my license. Who cares? I will, go, I will go to you. The license was given to you by a medical mafia. I will go to you, licensed or unlicensed, if you have a track record of health and healing people. Right. You know? So the licenses don't mean anything unless you're bought into that whole system. 
So anyway, um, and there is lots of modalities that all of us know about. So if you have questions about anything, reach out to us on, let's do uh, Instagram. I mean, not Instagram. Um, we have one there, but we don't look at it. Not often at I really all. don't look at anything other than Telegram. I yeah. just kind of spam Twitter. So Telegram and never, and these are part of Telegram. This is always broadcast at Clout Hub because they don't do any censoring whatsoever. Um, we're on a two-week deal from YouTube because our last video, Crash and Captain Cross, read out of the medical and um, uh, pilot handbook about how wearing knees is actually detrimental to the health. And we got medical misinformation. Yeah, so apparently we can't actually reference aviation physiology and our actual education yes. as certified flight instructors. Right. So the, the, the aviation industry is now wrong, just so you all know that. So, um, and he's angry. He's like, I'm going after them. So yeah, he is. He's fired up. He texted me at like three in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and, and he should be. And I'm glad he is because it's people like us that will change the system. So, so anyway, there's lots of info on lots of, uh, healing. I put up Erica's, um, Instagram. I'll do it one more. I mean, telegram, I keep saying Instagram one more time so that if you guys have any questions for her, you want to follow her uh, journey with fighting back with the affidavits, go ahead on. Yeah, I'll, I'll show my affidavit to anybody who wants to look at it so that you can see, mm -hmm. you know, cause there's a lot of specific language right. that you use when you're talking about your status and, um, yeah, I'm learning lots of things. Yeah. So reach out to any one of us. Uh, you'll mostly, again, find us on Telegram for sure. Somebody. I am not good at this process. I will just kick you over to them. So <laughs> I got I got different specialties. When I need help with that, I just call them. So. Yeah. <laughs> or, or the Affidavits 101, if you want to go straight there. James uh, will help you too. And Alina, they're very well versed in the process. And then on our Affidavits 101 website. There's also uh, up in Canada, Christopher James and Alphonse Fagiola, which was also on a broadcast with us who they are very, very, very well versed. And James learned most of what he knows from Alphonse. So we've got lots of resources for you all, health and lawful. So, um, so that's it. So thank you guys for joining. Thank you, Erica, again for you know, coming on and sharing with the world um, what happened and uh, fighting like a champ for the humans out there that want you fighting for them. And I know it must really bother you. It's kind of like when you go away, you're afraid to leave your animals in someone's hands that you don't know, right? You don't know if they'll be taken care of and you're not there to take care of those people anymore. But, you know, we're praying for everyone and praying that for sure this turns around quickly because it's pretty. Just, I'm, I'm praying that the hearts and minds of many open up, not just on the inside of the healthcare systems, the sick care systems, um, but the people who reach out to them as their hope for their salvation, you know, to, to realize that there's a better way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's say a quick prayer now for everybody. How's that sound? Sound good? Good. Sounds good. All right. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for allowing Erica to come on here and share her journey, uh, her journey of fighting for 
the God-loving people in this world that deserve freedom. We want to pray that eyes open and hearts open and people can come to see the light of what's happening and do the right thing instead of following the dollar. We pray for protection for all of those involved in this fight. We pray that you stay uh, with Erica close and help her through this journey so that what she's going through can be a light for the world um, and open eyes of many, many people. I uh, pray for my partner in crime, Crash, as she's making her homestead and fighting tirelessly to bring information to the world. Again, uh, with this journey of sharing the evil that's happening in this world that you have gifted us the ability to see. So Lord, um, give us a good week and a good weekend. And um, those who need a voice, send them our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, my lovelies. Yes, thank you too. Have a wonderful day and enjoy your weekend. And uh, contact Crash. She's got some goodies for you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you soon. See okay. you on the keyboards. Okay, All bye, right. everybody. Bye. Bye.